Before we jump into the main part of the podcast today, Rachel and I wanted to give you a behind the scenes look of our conversation with Jesse before we started officially recording. Today's podcast is going to be on the language that we use and the pronouns we use to describe ourselves. And admittedly, Rachel and I actually don't have a ton of background or experience in this. And our conversation with Jesse before we even started recording was incredibly insightful for us. We believe that a lot of you might be in the same boat or have a similar background to us and can benefit from the prep conversation that we all had together. Without further ado, check it out, and then we will jump back into the regular recording of the podcast. Um, okay. And what we're going to be talking about specifically is when we had originally chatted, you had mentioned that a lot of this inclusion consulting revolves around language and the words we choose to to use and how that creates a reality that's my interpretation of it um but Mm. how that how kind of having a construct for language actually can help and hurt and why it's important and just giving us the chance to unpack how that has played out for us janelle and i will probably ask you I, I for sure I'm going to ask questions about the he, she, they, them, him, uh, say, you know what I'm saying, he, him, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, just to have her. that, yeah, yeah. just to, to have that dialogue, yeah. um, I'm starting to see it more, and then also I have been in conversations with people around, like, how they feel like I don't want to have to put myself in that box. So just like having an open conversation about that from two people who are, you know, primarily hetero that are, you know, not necessarily as impacted on why it would, why it's helpful. And so we like, there will be some naivety on our part and that's yeah, okay. That's, and that's okay. I, so. Yeah. I, I, th- I think that's actually, I mean, the, the reason why I think these conversations are so powerful is because you have, you know, a, a pretty wide audience of, I mean, we, you know, like attracts like. So it's very likely that whoever's listening to your podcast resonates with who you two are on some level, which means that whatever you two know, most likely is around the same amount of information on this topic that your listeners know. So I think I think it's great because whatever you you feel naive about, like first of all, what I want to invite you to do in this conversation is to not think that there is anything that is off limits. If if you ask me something that is off limits, I will let you know in in the kindest way I can. Um, but very unlikely. I'm a pretty open book. I'll talk about anything. Um, and if you ask a question that I'm comfortable with talking about, but is generally a something that not everybody is is cool with talking about. I'll educate you as to why, but I think it's really important that we have a conversation um, from like a really base level space of this because your listeners are likely just as new to this conversation as you are. Yeah, and, well, and vice versa. Thank you. Too. Yeah, and vice versa too. Like we are both open books and I would say for the most part, most of our guests come on and are um, surprised at, they're like, you want to go there? And we're like, yeah, we do want to go there because people are having these conversations behind closed doors and they don't need to be. We don't need to be having these conversations behind closed doors. We can be more courageous. It's not helpful. No. (laughs) 
um, you need to invite people. I'm, I'm super open to that. The other thing, uh, the only other thing I'll mention is, is um, you're you're likely going to mess up my pronouns. My pronouns are they, them. Yep. Um, when and if you mess them up, if you hear yourself do it, I ask that you just correct yourself and move on. Cool. Um, it doesn't need to be a big apology. Like that, that's often where people get stuck and then I'm left taking care of your emotions. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. By sure. you. Oh, it's okay, don't worry, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't want to do that. I don't care, you're going to fuck it up. And uh, secondly, if you, if you mispronoun me, or you use the wrong pronoun for me and you don't hear it, I'll just correct you. And again, we just move on from that. Yeah, cool. Honestly, I have to say, um, and Jesse, I know that we like our paths crossed, but we didn't necessarily in depth get to know each other. I am a cancer survivor and I talk about it a lot more now than I did before. I had it when I was 14 and 15, but I can absolutely relate in a totally different way to once I say the big C word, people have all sorts of like, don't know how to respond or say the right thing. And so um, I, I love, I love being able to recognize the similarities in essence to what we're all experiencing. So like, yeah, maybe I've never experienced having um, to correct somebody with my pronoun, but I have had an experience of people feeling uncomfortable around something that's happened to me and and how to navigate that space exactly like you said like I don't want to have to own your emotions around how you're handling what my experience of life is <laughs> um and so sure, I, yeah. I think um and so just like how I just did that that's basically how um the conversation will go it will be different forms but this just recognizing the essence that exists in all of us and like the commonness of humanity so This is the True North Collective podcast, a gathering of unsugar-coated conversations on wellness created by the real-life documentation of everyday humans fearlessly finding their true north. Welcome to season three of the podcast. Hi, I'm Janelle. I almost drowned on my 28th birthday. I once won Best Cha-Cha Slide Dance at Skateland, and I grew up drinking grape soda. Hi, I'm Rachel. I used to eat microwave cheese sandwiches religiously. I'm obsessed with tattoos, and my next international trip is going to be to Peru. Hi, I'm Jesse. My pronouns are they, them. I was in a pogo stick talent show in grade three, and I fucking crushed it. I can't keep any plants alive, not even succulents. And I've only ever missed one high school dance in my four years of high school because at about an hour before we were supposed to arrive at the dance, I broke my wrist rollerblading. And we are your hosts of the True North Collective podcast. Okay. Are Oops, you maybe... laughing? No, I'm laughing because of the siren. <laughs> also, I have lots of, I have a friend that lives in Saskatchewan and she says succulents the way you do. Say it again. Wait, and, and how, how are you supposed to say it? I don't know. Say it. Succulents? Succulents. I don't know. Like oh, it sounds normal to me. Wait, say it again. Succulents? I don't know. It just sounds different to me. <laughs> but you sound just like my you know, friend Maya. That's funny. Yeah. I don't even notice. Everyone thinks I'm Canadian because apparently I acquired a Canadian accent, even though I've never even been there. So it sounds normal to me. <laughs> Great. Well, <laughs> <laughs> when I first moved to Vancouver, I also thought people in Vancouver spoke differently than people in Ontario. I don't know what's true anymore. Do you, are you from Ontario? 
I am, yeah. Ah, this girl is from Saskatchewan. I just like saying that. Saskatchewan. Do, do you say roof or roof? Roof. Oh. What do you, do you say, Jenna? Do you say milk or milk? Milk. Milk. Give me milk more. And Give me more. This is fun. Bag. I say bag. Do you yeah. say... Oh, wait. Saskatchewan. Do you say... Um... What's it called? A bunny hug or a sw- or a hoodie? I have no idea what you just said. A what? Definitely a hoodie because I don't know what a bunny <laughs> okay, hug is. So like, maybe that's in Manitoba or it, there's there's a province in in um in Canada that calls a hoodie or like a sweater with a hood on it um a bunny hug. Oh my god, so cute. Well, I guess being from Wisconsin, we call water fountains bubblers, and that's the <laughs> only. Yeah, that does that. Oh, okay. What about do you do you call uh, soft drinks like Coke and Pepsi pop or soda? Pop. Soda. Yeah, pop. <laughs> I call pop. Pop soda. is Canadian. Pop Chicago too. Yeah, I would say pop is very Illinois. Yeah. Mm. That's where yeah. my gross Illinois roots show up. <laughs> oh, do you pop. say uh, garage or garage? Garage. Garage. What yeah. about? Kitty corner or catty corner? Oh, kitty corner. Kitty. What about lieutenant or lieutenant? What? What's a lieutenant? <laughs> lieutenant. <laughs> Say this potato is... or potato. Potato. Ketchup or cats up. Cats up. <laughs> Wait, what do you say? Cats up. Cat, you say cats up? Well, just because I gotta go. it's funny. I'm off. I'm off. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh I, my. I, like, this love this. It's a fun game. I know. I'm trying to think. When I first moved to when I first moved to Vancouver, the thing I noticed people saying the most was, mm-hmm. Whenever I'd, like, say, like, oh, I'm going to da-da-da-da-da. Mm-hmm. I was just like, what? <laughs> what are you saying, right? What is that? <laughs> well, mm-hmm. I mean, when I moved to where people really pointed out the fact that I said A a lot. Like, I guess A is Canadian, but apparently very Ontario. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just kidding. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I still mm-hmm. say toque down. I'm in Texas right now, and I say toque, and people are like, huh? <laughs> I'm oh, like, oh, be yeah. Like, you say what? Toque. What about, um, uh, um, Serviette or napkin? Napkin. Napkin. Okay, so I was in the States years ago, and my mom told me to, uh, if I needed napkins, to ask for, make sure to say napkins, not serviettes. Because I guess, or, no, wait, what's another name for that? I have no idea. Anyway, one of those words where we were in the States um, is also... um, a synonym for a tampon oh, or a pad. Oh, interesting. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Do you know? What, about, what about, about washroom or bathroom? Bathroom. It depends. If I, I think it depends for you too. Yeah, but some, some places literally don't know what you're talking about when you say one or the other. I think it's washroom. Yeah, if they say washroom, they're like, huh? And I don't yeah. know why. I feel fancier when I say washroom. It sounds better. Yeah. What yeah. about... Davenport or couch? Couch. What about, um, this is very Canadian, couch or uh, sofa? Ooh. Probably I'd still go couch. I sometimes say sofa. 
I only ever say couch, but I've heard people say sofa, which I find interesting. What about, um, oh, what's, um, what about, eh, you know what, we, it's 420, <laughs> we gotta go. Okay, it's so, question. Gravity is not my strong suit, I'll tell you that right now. <laughs> so, question for you, did you go into the pogo stick contest trying to win, or was it an unfound talent? that happened once you got there. Yeah, my mom got me a pogo stick, I think, because maybe she had a pogo stick when she was a kid or something. Anyway, I got really good at it. And then I got all my friends into it. And so I entered in with two other, like we were basically um, Destiny's Child, but like five years old and white. And um, far less talented, but in in our brains, I'm sure we were equivalent. Um, and so I was like front row center. I was Beyonce. And then my two friends were in the back as my like backup pogo stick dancers. And, um, we were supposed to actually, I was just talking to my mom about this, um, the other day is we're reminiscing about this. Cause I remember I got in trouble from this teacher because for my performance, we were all supposed to dress up in clown costumes to like make it more fun. And at the last minute I was too embarrassed. So we just went in our normal clothes. And then this teacher was like, on the call sheet, you were going to be wearing a clown uniform and you've ruined the whole talent show. And like, remember I'm like five or six years old or however old you are in grade three. Like I was so, no, I was in grade two. I said grade three, but actually I was in grade two because I moved in grade three. Hmm. So like this guy was yelling at me. It was really sad anyway we crushed it we didn't win but I didn't care I was a winner in my heart so funny I tried to pogo I tried to pogo stick um like once before and I I feel like I could get like three hops in and then I would fall off oh I was like I could pogo stick with no hands I could pogo stick like one hand I want to see a video I know. I, I mean, my parents like, weren't, I mean, we videotaped a little bit when we were like a little older than that, but I don't think we had a video camera when we were, I was that young. So oh, yeah. you just have to, you have to take my word for it. I have, um, the, when I was younger, my big thing was creating lo-fi horror movies with, <laughs> oh dude. And I have one of them and it is the best thing ever. And someday I want to just have like a really mini film festival. It's like a five minute killer Barbie Oh from my a gosh. VHS like it's amazing and cringeworthy it's the best thing ever you so, know what someday. that's actually a really inspired idea like a a film festival with just your friends where like everyone gets together and they present their own childhood videos yeah dude that would be amazing because I grew up in the time of of the Spice Girls yeah. and uh, I I liked them and honestly I'm not sure if I liked them because everybody else else like them or if I actually liked them but either way I was surrounded by all these people generally w- girls who would collect the cards and like buy all all of the paraphernalia all of the merch that they that they sold and for my we, there is a video of this this is one of the I should have put this as my random fact um so I had five best friends each one of them took on like the role of a spice girl and for my seventh or eighth birthday there's a video of all five of these girls in my parents home in in our living room dancing to like stop right now and you see them all doing the choreography and it's all like synced up and they look awesome and then all of a sudden you just hear 
okay, cut, cut, excellent job, ladies, great work. <laughs> and like, you don't see me on camera, but my role in this, like, you want to know how I know that, like, I'm gay? I'm the manager of these five <laughs> And I'm on my own birthday video. I'm just, I'm managing oh the English God. actor. I love it. Dude, we all, we've been, we've been talking a lot with people about how, like, we were all the original TikTok stars before TikTok was a thing. <laughs> yeah, and now I don't even understand TikTok. I like, know. I feel like a piece of technology where, like, <laughs> I'm I'm starting to relate more to my parents than to Dude, like know. younger yeah, generations because you know when Instagram came out you know our parents it was the same thing for them they're like what is this like what is the Twitter what is the Facebook are you quitting me you're like this isn't how that works please leave me alone stop following you on Facebook <laughs> that's so funny that's yeah great we actually did grow Growing up, um, I had a bunch of friends that were really into film and wanted to go to film school, and we created a four-hour-long production that took a year and a half to create, and it was a, um, a parody of Lord of the Rings called The Lord of the Gummy Rings. No way. No. I need to see that. <laughs> right. I have it on DVD. It's it's actually pretty legit for a bunch of, I was in middle school, I think, when we started, and they were, like, freshmen in high school, and we finished it maybe three, like, two, two, three years later, so yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty legit, there were costumes, makeup, like, it was a full-blown production. I feel wow. like, Janelle, I feel like our videos really represent each of us, like, mine was, we're only going to use the materials that we have around us. We're not going to overthink it. We're just going to like do it. And you're it's like, <laughs> we're going to analyze what is the right angle, get the stats. And then we're going to create a production that is like, it's literally the perfect epitome of both of us. <laughs> Pretty much. Actually, you know what the best part about this is too? My first kiss was on a movie set. <gasps> that movie set. Aww. Yep. I got to be, um, I don't even remember because I'm, clearly not uh, super into Lord of the Rings anymore, but one of the, I don't know, princesses in love story, and they cast me that as that, and I didn't realize that I actually had to kiss a guy, and I was like 12, 13, I don't know, it's pretty yeah. young, and, and then I didn't want to tell anyone it was my first kiss, though, and so I just had to do it. And You're like, I've kiss. done this so many times, I'm so good. <laughs> Basically, and I was like, wait, what, I have to kiss him? <laughs> Feel societal pressure to like be good at kissing. Oh, like, yeah. yes. Well, my first kiss on camera, I was like, what? I'm I mean, not good at this. And I don't think I was. You, of course you weren't. You were 12. <laughs> I mean, bad at it. wait a second. Was there tongue involved or was it just a peck? No. It was like the moving head. It was, was supposed it... to be... Well, that's honestly for a while because I got so uncomfortable. So, like, we'll just try to like camera camera fake it and but then it would look really bad and it looked fake and so then we had to do it it was supposed to be making out I don't think it was making out there was definitely no tongue but then I ended up dating him so whatever oh well, well there you go yeah. oh, my first guy that touched my boob too so <laughs> oh my god I love this we need to have an anyway. episode of like that um okay I am gonna introduce Jesse yeah yeah. All right, let's introduce Jesse. So I knew Jesse back in Vancouver. Our paths crossed when we were both working at Lululemon. And of all the people that I met while I was there, 
Jessie was one of the people who really, like, her energy, oh my god, fuck her. What do I say for they energy? Their energy? Their, their energy. Their Think energy. of me, their. How, how would you talk about a group of people? Think of me as a group of people. Oh gosh, okay. Or a company or whatever. Yeah. All right, I'm excited to introduce Jesse. Jesse and I met back in Vancouver when I we were both working at Lululemon. And when I was there, there was a lot of people that I met, but Jesse was somebody who really just stood out for, for me. Their energy was distinct, memorable. It's not even that we really did a whole ton of work together, but for whatever reason, my God, why is this so hard for me? I'm so uh, uh, okay. It's okay. It's hard. It's hard because you've never done it before. Honestly, would you be open to a sh- kind of sharing part of this? Part of me struggling through it. Yeah, of course. Okay, I, I would love that because I think it's honest and real. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> like, so I'm gonna try I'm it again, sure. and Janelle, hopefully you are able to cut something from it. But I yeah. think it's really important for this to be that. And I'm going to kind of struggle through it, and then I'm going to acknowledge that I did. Okay. And, Rachel, what I would just offer you in in this, like I said at the beginning, is, like, you're going to fuck it up and, like, just correct and move on. So instead of being like, ah, fucker, like, sorry, I'm still learning. They, blah, blah, blah. Okay. I am super excited to introduce Jesse to the True North Collective. They are somebody who I specifically remember from my time in Vancouver when we worked at Lululemon. It's not that our paths crossed all that often, but for whatever reason, their personality and their energy really stuck with me. And so I continue to just follow Jesse's journey as they were coming to life. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. They were coming to life. Thank you. And it's been so cool to see all that Jesse has been up to, specifically around inclusivity. Right now, Jesse is an inclusivity consultant focused on work from the lens of equity and inclusion in the pursuit of social justice. Jesse is the owner of Kith and Common and honestly a phenomenal human being. I appreciate your patience as I am learning how to use the pronouns it's not something that I'm super well versed in, as I'm sure a lot of a lot of people might not be. So thank you for your patience with me. And welcome. <laughs> I'm welcome. here for it. Yeah. Thank you for having me. Yeah. Jesse, I would love to just hear a little bit about what got you to deciding to start Kith in Common. Whatever that looks like for you. Yeah, well, I think um, I mean, to be honest this intro, if we can be really real with our listeners right now, is exactly, it's a prime example of why I do the work that I do, because that, that simple introduction of who I am with my correct pronouns was, was a challenge for you. And, and you are not alone in that. That's most people. Um, And it's simply because we haven't normalized or integrated uh, a wider scope of pronouns or human experience in general into our, our our understanding of life and how the world works and how people identify and show up and want to express. So exactly for the reasons that like we're having this podcast today, exactly for the reasons why 
when you introed me, you were like, can we just kind of like work through this for our listeners because I'm struggling with it is exactly why I started Kiss in Common. So about three years ago ish, I started to come out slowly to people I felt safest with. So, uh, friends, family, my counselor. And as that sort of started to feel a little bit safer and more comfortable, I really had to be brave, but as, as my bravery grew in, in those, um, those conversations, I then, you know, started to expand that circle of, of my safety net a little bit wider. So then I started to come out to people at work and, um, you know, acquaintances and people I was sort of meeting in the moment. And what I recognized very, very quickly was that these conversations, yes, needed to be had so that people could give me the space I needed to feel seen, valued and heard in the world to, to feel as though, I was really there with them, that I wasn't just this assumption in their mind, but I was actually wholly me. Um, that, you know, was the starting point for this. But also what I recognized very quickly is that people in my community, the people I was surrounded by, the people I was connected with, whether it was on a daily basis or, you know, getting a coffee one time, needed this information for themselves because most people, and again, I want to speak from a place of my privileged white bubble in Vancouver and the space in Vancouver that I exist in and take up, most people are willing to radically accept that this is true about who I am. They're not questioning my gender identity or whether it's true or not, but they don't have any of the, the tools available to support me in that. Um, and so as I started to have these conversations with people, it became very apparent that my community needed this information not necessarily just to fill their own at all, really to fulfill their own agendas, but rather to create space for other people. And I just happened to be the right person for that conversation, partly because of the timing of things that occurred in my life. And, and when I came out, it was just kind of the, the right time in our, in our world, um, in the, the world that I, I live in. And um, I think it's also because my personality allows me to do this. It's one of my privileges is that I'm an extrovert by nature. I, I like people. I like to educate. And for a long time in my life, I just didn't know where I was supposed to outlet that energy, that, that energy that I had that I loved, um, you know, that lit me up around entertaining or around holding space for people, around um, bringing people together, collecting communities and, and creating um, – really positive vibrations. I never knew where to put any of that energy. And, and when I started to come out and Kith and Common really started to grow quite organically and naturally, it, it was so apparent to me that this is what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and it's, it's expanded greatly from there, but yeah, I mean, it, it, it doesn't have to be these big dramatic reasons for why I started it. It's as simple as, the language that we use every day because how you speak to somebody lets them know how interested you are in knowing who they really are. And that starts with how people speak of me to me about me. Um, because if you don't know that these are my pronouns because I don't identify as female and I don't identify as male, then we can't really get any further because I'm not sure that I can trust you. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. And yeah, so so that that's where it 
started. And, and honestly, that's where a lot of my work still remains is in the simplicity of, of day-to-day behaviors. Because until we can start to nail down how we show up in the world and therefore create space or don't create space for other people, we can't do much of anything else. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting to consider the element of trust in like an acknowledgement of who you are. Like in the reverse, I would feel the same way. Like if somebody couldn't acknowledge me, you know, or like couldn't, I don't know. It's like not just remembering my name, but it's like if they weren't able to acknowledge the person that I recognize myself as, there is a lack of trust. It's like, oh, you don't actually see me. You don't actually hear me. You don't, you don't recognize my, who I am, who I am. And that's got to be such a, I mean, I feel like I have experienced that at different times in my life from like a micro standpoint, but not necessarily, well, I guess I've kind of experienced from a macro too, but not to the extent, um, you know, for the most part, people can engage with me and I, I feel like there's not that, that like immediate, I see you for who you are that's there, if that makes any sense. Yeah, well, I think like to go back to your example of your name, like your name is Rachel. And what if every time we were to interact, I were to call you Rebecca and you had to correct me? Right. And I, oh, right, right. Sorry, Bex. No, no, it's Rachel. Oh, sorry, Rach. Yeah. No, it's Rachel. Like, no, it's, I think we live in this space in our world where it's very colonial and it's very prescriptive. It's like, this is what your life is supposed to look like. These are the boxes you're supposed to check. This is how you're supposed to uh, show up in the world. And a lot of that, when you think about it, is um, a dictation rather than a uh, self-defined experience. So for most of my life, somebody, somebody, and when I say somebody, I mean the ethereal, like, um, social constructs we live under said you're a girl because you have a vagina therefore you use she her pronouns um, you're supposed to like men because you're a girl and girls like boys uh, you're supposed to accomplish a b c and d you're supposed to get married at a certain age you're supposed to have this many children you're supposed to accomplish this month much financially or uh, economically you're supposed to retire by this amount of time, um, you know, and the list goes on. And it's actually, I mean, I say this gently, but it, unfortunately, that's the experience of most people. If, if you, you know, Rachel, have grown up in a world where you just so happen to feel comfortable relatively in your body in terms of the gender that you were assigned at birth and the body parts that you were born with, in relationship to what we make them mean. Your pronouns work for you. You are attracted to people that the world tells you you're supposed to be attracted to. You have washrooms to go to in every public place you, you, um, you know, the list goes on in that regard. You haven't therefore been given a great deal of opportunity to explore who the fuck you really are. And, and I don't mean that in a way of like too bad you don't know who you are what I mean is I actually as as much struggle as I went through and as as much challenge as I faced coming out um because the world requires you to come out when you're 
not heteronormative and all those things. Um, I know myself deeply. I know exactly who I am. And had I not given myself permission to do that and had I not been born in the body I was born in and with the brain I was born with and, and the, the knowing of who I am deeply outside of our gender constructs, Kith and Common wouldn't exist. I really do believe that I don't think you need to suffer or go through struggle, but I do think that um, we need to be in, in a, a, a place of curiosity and questioning everything that has been handed to us, not because it's wrong, but because it might not actually fit us as well as we've been told it should. I'm like clapping over <laughs> Deeply privileged to, to have gone through what I went through. I wouldn't wish it on anybody. I, you know, I have been on suicide hotlines. I have been incredibly suicidal. I have, you know, I suffer still with depression, anxiety. There, there's all these things that came with the, the struggle or the, you know, the, the place I'm at now, but I know myself better than, than I ever, ever could have imagined. And I'm so grateful for that because there is no clearer path for me than what I'm up to. Yeah. I know I'm going to be okay. Yeah. There's been a few, um, our first season, we talked to one of my friends um, from college and she actually said the same thing. She was like, I have a lot of friends who um, are gay or bi and when I have conversations with them, they are so much clearer on who they are than I am and I feel like I'm so late to the game because at an early age, they started questioning like, okay, people are telling me that I'm this, but I'm not. And they had to learn how to be really comfortable. Like, how do, how do I get comfortable with the fact that I feel different than what society wants me to be? And how do I accept myself? And she was like, I, I'm, I love them because they, they've like shown me like it's possible. And at the same time, she's like, I can't believe like how early in life they, they did that compared to me and I'm still trying to figure it out. And at that point she was like 35, I think. So, um, it is, it is interesting. And then even last week we were talking to, um, Joaquin Janelle about what if we lived mm. in a world where literally there was no rules about who you were with. And I was like, well, we would all be a hell, hell of a lot more curious and, instead of just assuming, oh, you look like a boy and I'm a girl and so therefore we're just going to fall into this because that's what we're supposed to do blindly, you'd actually be like, who are you? What are you into? Like, what? Like, you'd have to ask because you wouldn't necessarily be able to lean on those assumptions. Uh, so you bring up a very interesting point. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think, like, and this is a lot of the work that I, I do with Kith, um, and again, going back to that point of like, I think I think people um, believe at its face value that diversity, equity, inclusion work, social justice work are these massive undertakings that um, that require an immense amount of concentration and energy and time and resources that most people just would up up front automatically decide they don't have the space for. And the reality is, you know, until you do your own own work to help change the systems that are in place nothing else is going to change and so it doesn't have to look very big it's day-to-day -day habit reformation and day-to-day -day habit mitigation like literally just bringing awareness to your own day-to-day -day habits because 
it's it isn't rocket science it's simple it's not easy but it is quite simple i wasn't born with this information i've just done research in it and i i live it every day so i i have the capacity to share with other people but this isn't rocket science like anybody can figure this stuff out because at its base roots society and culture require humans to participate right and so the reality that we live in is that we're creating the world that that is continuing to marginalize folks hold other people in certain boxes and and to the outer margins of of society not because who they are isn't normal but because we haven't normalized it and i think what's required in in normalizing things is allowing people to be self-expressed self-defined and to um to live in in a place of curiosity and radical acceptance rather than being combative and um, resistant to something that's different than you. Because the reality is the one thing that we all have in common is that we are all different. I am different like you, not different from you. I want to simply know what your different story is, your diversity story is, what makes you unique so that I can find a connection point with you. Because you know what? I am not a cancer survivor. I, I have not gone through cancer. I don't know what that, that looks like, but I do know what it feels like to be uh, marginalized or left out because other people feel uncomfortable. Yeah. And I think so much of what this conversation requires, and in fact, all conversations require, is to uh, give people permission to, be un- to start getting comfortable with the discomfort. Yeah. If we can be in a place of discomfort, by way of exploring curiosity rather than exploring um, our resistance to what we're not familiar with, we're going to create a lot more space for folks because you don't have to understand the experience of being a transgender person, a person who doesn't identify with the gender that they were assigned at birth, to understand that I am a human who deserves space to be seen, valued, and heard in the world, just like you do, Rachel, who is a cancer survivor. Not everybody has survived cancer, but you deserve to be seen, valued, and heard and not minimized or reduced or held small because not everybody understands that experience. Yeah, for sure. I like the call out to curiosity. I think that's really important just in general when we meet people to not make assumptions and to be curious. And Rachel, you already called this out, but I, I just will say it again because I do think it's really important just getting to know them as a human without assuming that they're going to be X, Y, or Z. So you have to ask, like learning how to ask questions of people and getting to know them. Um, it takes more maybe effort up front, but in the long run, I think it's a really kind of beautiful space to be in where you're going to actually fuel deeper connection, which a lot of us today, I think sometimes struggle feeling connected with other people. As you say, also, like, I think sometimes people get really caught up, and I'll speak for myself. I have gotten caught up in the past of, okay, so if this person is different than me, especially because I did grow up in a really traditional gender, like, gender roles and conversations, and not that I was against any of it, I just... That's just how I was raised. So then when there is an invitation of like, okay, we're going to acknowledge another um, another group of people and you actually don't need to have any, okay, how do I want to say this? 
it's like I used to think like okay so then what does that mean within there like but you you don't really need to know it's not that it's not like you need to categorize people further that's not what I'm hearing you say it's like I hear you saying let's acknowledge the existence of humans and a binary construct does not acknowledge everybody and so adding a them they actually does include everyone but that doesn't necessarily that's not necessarily meaning that you then need to drill down past that does that make sense yeah well i think it's i mean it in in your language there even i think there's um there's a great example of this I mean, even in what you just said, you said um, not like, you know, groups of people, uh-huh. this group, of, you know, like that kind of categorization of groups, like, yes, I due to our, our colonial and our systemic systems or, or systemic um, constructs, I, I currently, if you wanted to categorize me, belong to the queer group of people in the world. But the reality is, I don't belong to any group. I belong to me. Right. You belong to you. And that's how I and, feel about yes, myself. Yes, and so, of course, because imagine if you told your story as a cancer survivor, and I said, great, perfect, I never again have to talk to anybody else who has cancer because I know exactly what the experience is. Right. Could you imagine if people assumed that your experience with cancer was the same experience with cancer that anybody else has had. I was going to say, so do you, is it important? Because I always feel like I want to be, I know that it's sensitive to, like the process, even as you were saying, like it was not an easy process to go through your own self-discovery of like who you are from a gender standpoint. And I might be totally using the wrong words. Um, However, it's, I'm always so sensitive, which I guess that's how people are with me when it comes to cancer too. Like they're so sensitive for like, I don't want to ask you a question that is going to make you feel uncomfortable. And that's kind of how I feel too. Like I don't want to ever make somebody uncomfortable. I don't want to ask a question that's going to be like, you fucking idiot or you're naive or how could you ask that? Um, And so I honestly, it's, I don't, I avoid it, but not because I want to, like, I want to understand. And, um, and as like on the flip side, I, I think that like as a cancer, somebody who had cancer, I wish people were more open with me about it. So maybe, I don't know. I'm just like literally verbally vomiting all over you, my like. No, no, I think that's great because you're, you're addressing a question that comes up a lot is like, well, how do you start the question or how do you start the conversation or what if I get it wrong or I don't want to offend anybody or, um, you know, like I, I feel sensitive about whatever it is. The reality is, and this is where I believe deeply in radical acceptance, not only of who you are or who others are, but of the realities of life is that when I talk about inclusion, I don't, I'm not picturing like, you know, rainbows and butterflies coming out everybody's assholes. Like I don't, I don't, I I don't uh, imagine a world where everybody's holding hands and everyone agrees. The reality is we are all individuals with our own individual experiences, our own individual ways of looking at things, the lens we see the world through. And so what 
I'm asking is for people to radically accept who I am. And radical acceptance means that you don't have to understand it. You don't need to have to be able to figure it out or explain in order to give me space to be a full-fledged human. And I also think that there's a really, really powerful space to live in of radical acceptance around the fact that you are going to fuck it up. You aren't going to get it right. You are going to offend people. You are going to do all these things that you're scared of doing. And guess what? You're scared of doing them because you're pretty good at predicting it. You're pretty good at predicting that that those things are going to go wrong. So if you can radically accept that that is what the experience is going to be, that you're going to get it wrong, wrong, then what what we can be firmly planted in is instead of worrying about getting it perfect, we worry about correcting and growing and learning because you can't have growth without discomfort. So if you can radically accept that discomfort will be part of these conversations, discomfort will be a a part of the experience if you want to grow as a human and and expand your understanding of what the human experience can look like, then you, you won't be stuck in this place of perfectionism, which is very colonial. Instead, you'll be in a place of growth and an opportunity to get bigger because our colonial mindset asks us to live small, stay small, don't say anything out of line, don't that that could be misinterpreted or offensive you know and in reality the silence can be almost more harmful than those people who are bold and loud and saying no I don't believe in being transgender no I don't believe in um heterosexual or homosexual relationships um you know the the people who are loud and on the front lines at least you know where they stand yeah. The people I'm I'm more um, concerned of or scared of are the people who don't say anything at all. And the reality is that they're probably a lot like you, Rachel, is that like they want to be in it. They want to be doing the work, but they don't want to fuck it up. Well, radically accept that you're going to fuck it up and don't focus on the perfectionism, focus on the journey of it. Yeah. And if you can focus on that, you're going to give yourself a lot more space to to be in the learning. Um, I mean, nobody, you know. There's no Olympic athlete in the world, no, you know, great scientist, no amazing doctor or mathematician or artist who was perfect at what they what they crafted at the very beginning. Like Picasso wasn't an amazing painter when he first picked up a paintbrush. Yeah. And yet, you know, he's prolific. Yeah. Well, and it's he's probably but he's prolific. So you know, all, all of those things being said, I think that where we need to be is in this place of growth and this place of knowing that with growth comes discomfort and radically accepting that that's true so that we can get our, our own the way, like move out of your own way and know you're going to get it wrong. And a catalyst to all of that is how do you get it wrong in the right way? And what that means is being mindful, being genuinely curious. And like, there's, I think there's an upgrade or yeah, level up from just simply curiosity. I'm not talking about curiosity to fulfill your own agenda. Like, Hey, Jesse, do you have a penis or a vagina? Like I've been asked that, believe me, that's not what you need to know. What you need to know is what are your pronouns? Because that's much more informative of who I am in the world. Um, and that will help you create space for me if you know my pronouns correctly and can get them correct as often as possible and correct yourself when you don't get them right. Um, but 
yeah, I think, I think we need to be in this space of like, you're going to get it wrong. So how can you get it wrong in the best way? And getting it wrong in the best way looks like, you know, educating yourself, going on Google, reading books, listening to voices of those people who have been marginalized, um, going to workshops, talking to people who are like you. So your cis white straight friends about these issues, um, making sure that you're not putting emotional labor on those people who already have emotional labor built into their lives. So sometimes I'm the right person to go to for questions around the trans experience. And sometimes you can go find that information in a lot of other places. Um, so does that make sense? Like, yeah, yes, you're I mean, yeah, absolutely. And I would say like from a micro standpoint, one-on-one, I feel very comfortable holding like an accepting, a radically accepting space. And when I have a platform like this, that's where I am. I want to make sure that I am doing the conversation justice. And that's what I actually get more tripped up on a macro when it's like going to be projected out to people because I want to get it right. And I love your call out of what I actually heard in that was when we can invite ourselves to radically accept who we are, now we actually can hold the space to start to radically accept those outside of us that might be different. That actually yes, yes. goes way, way, way beyond even gender equality. Um, yes, it's everything. It has yeah, nothing to do with it. has to do with everything. Yeah. Uh, and it starts with radical exactly. acceptance of self. That's exactly yeah. what I was writing down. I'm like, this applies to just so much in life, like outside of what we're talking about. And I think it's such an important lesson because if we can learn to do it in one space, then we can start applying this. I mean, it might be a little different or it might feel a little bit different, but you can start to apply it in other places too. And then it leads back to that, us being genuinely curious about the other human that we're talking to. I mean, totally. And I think it also opens up space for, you know, for us to reduce those margins that we've forced folks to live in. Like my experience of the world is not um, different or marginalized because I am a broken, a broken expression of the human experience my experience is not been normalized because we haven't created space for it. Like trans folks have been around since humans have been around. Gay people have been around or queer people have been around since humans have been around. Like like, racialized folks or people with different pigmented skin colors have been around since humans have been around. But we make those categories of people mean something specific. And I actually really believe that a lot of the a lot of these problems or a lot of this conversation can be solved from um decolonizing work i I think essentially i am a branch off of the the concept of decolonizing work part of where i try to support in decolonizing is through the space of language and gender and creating space for all people to come as they are But you look at our colonial structures and they're based and rooted in um, Judeo-Christian heteronormative expectations. And if we wiped away those expectations, exactly to your point earlier, Rachel, like who could who could we be? We'd be a lot more curious about who we were and who other people were if we didn't have these set expectations from the very beginning of our, our lives. Like from the moment that our parents know that they have a child in them, we can find out what the gender is. We 
assign color palettes to certain genders. We put certain clothes on certain genders. Like you, you can't, you're, you're screwed from the beginning if you don't fall in within those, um, those sectors of what we believe are true. And so if we can wipe away those constructs and say, who are you? You tell me and I'll radically accept that. You know, we're essentially reverse engineering the system and decolonizing what we believe is true about the human experience. Yeah, we kind of we had a conversation on labels like Rachel had mentioned in a past episode, and that was something that I said, and I don't know if I said it in the best way, but even for myself, like generally, I think I fall into these majority buckets, but up until recently, like I just sort of accepted that. And now that I'm getting older and just like feeling and seeing other modeling and seeing other people that are experiencing life in a different way, it's opened me up to say exactly what you're saying. Like, who, who am I really? Like if I can start to tear away the judgment that I have on myself, because that's a huge thing for me too, is I, I'm constantly internally judging myself, um, from, these standards that society has and then I'm putting them on me. And if I could just let that go, like what person would I blossom into? And like, I, you know, I'm, I'm going through that process right now. So I don't you know, know the answer yet. And I'm sure we're all on this journey and it's ongoing, but it's been something that's really interesting to me as I talk to other people, how do I have a conversation with them and just accept them for all of their experiences without judgment and as I do that externally, I feel myself being able to better um, release the judgment of myself too, which has been really cool. Well, totally. And I, I think that's like a really interesting and pertinent sentiment to this conversation because we are community driven creatures. We are animals that that like groups. We we like like we're not we're not individualistic in the sense that like we're um that we need to be out on, on our own solo missions. Like we require other people. And what that forces us into is a place of comparison because we are hardwired to look for in-groups and out-groups. In-groups so that I know exactly where I'm supposed to be and out-groups to solidify that the group I've chosen is correct. And if we know that's true about how humans are hardwired, and then we pair that with exactly what you were saying, Janelle, like this this feeling of having to be restricted by what people expect of you um, and and applying that that self-oppression to to your own behavior and your own experience well automatically what you're going to start to do then is live in a place of comparison of saying well if I have to be like this you you should have to be like this too and if you can't self-identify who you are, if you can't give yourself that permission to be self-expressed and self-defined and show people who you are outside of the constructs of what we've told people is right and true, then you're going to assume that other people should play by those same rules, which is where we hold people small, which is where we marginalize people, which is where we say that if you fall outside of these binaries or these norms or these colonial ideas of what it means, Means to be a human, then you must be wrong. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think at the end of the day, like this all boils down to like self-exploration before we can ask other people to do the work. We have to do the work ourselves. I was just going to ask Jesse, if you have any insights or tips 
tips for people that are just starting this process of self-exploration? Because it sounds like you have done a lot of that from this conversation. What was helpful for you in figuring out who you wanted to be outside of these, I'll just call them labels again, and then kind of a follow-up to that, like how have you been able to stay true to who you are despite everything else outside of yourself, which is a really big question, I know. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the second part of that question actually feels easier because, I mean, once you figure out who you are, it there's, there is absolutely nothing that could entice me to go back into a closet, like zero. So I know exactly who I am living authentically as me and growing into that, like I could not feel better. And I, I don't know how, I just feel like I'm in my own skin. Um, yeah. So that part, I'm like, that that's not hard for me. It's not hard for me to stay true to that because there's nothing else I would rather be than, than who I am and who I was born as. Um, I also believe that outside of the fact that I happen to identify as trans and queer, that that would be a true experience for anybody. Like, it doesn't matter how you identify. You can be a straight, white, cis, able-bodied, um, man and, and know exactly who you are fundamentally at your core and follow exactly what it is your pur purpose is in life. Like everybody has that opportunity and you would never stray from that. Like you two are, are sort of on that same path with, you know, doing this podcast, trying to get, be engaged and connect humans that clearly on some level is, is, you know, weaved within your purpose whether that's your purpose itself or whatever, but clearly you're following your own purposes. So it, in, in that sense, the answer to that question is very simple. Like I, I wouldn't want to be anybody else because I know exactly who I am and I, I, I'm, I'm more myself today than I ever have been. Um, and the, the first part of your question is kind of interesting to me. I, I'm only laughing because I would actually never, ever, ever want anybody to find out who they are the way that I did um which is a huge part of why I do the work that I do because I want to give young people specifically but anybody uh, a chance to survive their own life <laughs> and to thrive in, in the world knowing that they're not a broken version of the human they are a full um and beautiful expression of the human experience in whatever form that looks like um, the way that I came to figure all this out was not by going to, you know, lots of like self-development courses and, you know, vision and goaling and all this thing, all these things, although I, I got a lot of that from Lululemon. But the reason I found out who I am is because I was incredibly depressed. I was suicidal. Like I literally, I mean, the, I, the first time I ever came out it came out of my mouth that I was trans is when I called a suicide hotline two years three years ago so like I know who I am by way of hardship or by way of challenge and that has led me to some of the most beautiful things I could have ever imagined for my life like my life couldn't be better um but it but you know I was I was teetering on the edge of like is this even worth doing because I never saw who I was in the world. Nobody, whether it was on TV, magazines, books I read, conversations that were being had, 
the people I, I spent time with, I never saw myself in the world. And, you know, there's that classic saying, you cannot be what you cannot see. And because I never saw myself represented in the world and myself being a, a, a white, able-bodied trans person, I... I thought that I was a broken version of the human experience. I really did believe that there, there must have therefore been something wrong with me. If I didn't see myself in the world, there therefore must have been fundamentally something wrong with me. And I, I don't want that for anybody else because, you know, I want somebody to be able to look up to me now and say, holy shit, that's me. I can do that. That's how I feel about myself. And look at Jesse. They're really proud of that. And they've built a business around this and they, they're thriving in their gender neutrality. I, I want to I create space for people to figure out all of those things about themselves from a place of celebration rather than a place of challenge. Um, so that's how I figured it out. Um, and yeah, I, I would never wish that upon anybody. Um, I would far rather people find out exactly who they are through ways of celebration and and um, and, and a, a positive sense of self exploration and curiosity. Yeah, thanks for acknowledging too that every path is different. I appreciate you adding that in because it, it truly is. Go for it, Rachel. Yeah, I was just gonna say, um, I I just I appreciate the invitation for people to to recognize that no matter what they are going through, um, it's, okay, how do I want to say this? It's, it doesn't have to be a sticky path. I'm going to call it a sticky path to self-discovery. Like it doesn't, you don't have to get there through the hardships. And a lot of times we do. And I do believe there's a lot of people out there like us with this podcast. I mean, a huge reason why I want to put my foibles out there and have conversations with people who are having different looking experiences that are actually, from a universality standpoint, very similar. Like, in essence, again, that's the thing that keeps coming back to me is that, man, we're all, we all experience pain. We all experience isolation. We all experience elation. Um... And so I, I love the idea that um, we can all, there's an opportunity by sharing your story to create modeling in the world that allows other people to be seen. So by us being able to truly, I'll use your language, radically accept ourselves and operate from that place, we give a platform for literally, potentially thousands upon thousands of people who didn't realize that you could be a sweet little innocent five foot two girl who has an has anger issues you know I'm speaking for myself and you know like and that that's okay and um so I guess it's twofold of like acknowledging that by going through your journey whatever that looks like and by having the courage to share that voice with the world you now allow others to do the same whether it's similarly to you or just in seeing your ability to share your story um 
and I think that's universal too. I, I don't see very many modelings of people out in the world who are, you know, sweet little girls with anger issues. I've shared that story before with people and I've been fully rejected for being an asshole um, or told like you're, I don't understand how you couldn't stop yourself from, you know, punching a hole in a wall. And well, I, I, I couldn't. And guess what? I'm still a good person too. And I'm still a lot of other things. And so I just love that invitation of being able to take the experience that you have and just by being it fully and the journey to get there is actually changing the world for yourself and for everyone and then the only other piece that I wanted to add in there was just um it's coming up for me is that it doesn't always have to be through the difficult journey like you don't it it doesn't have to be because you go through the depths and there's a lot of fucking depths in humanity in like being a human. And so it is going through the depths is okay and is part of it as well. So I don't know, just I want sure. to acknowledge I, a lot of it. Yeah, well, and I think, you know, I am just one very, very, very small piece of the representation puzzle, but that's what I'm trying to do is, is – be out there and be authentically myself so that other people if it's just one person who can look at me and be like oh my god I can be that too Jesse doesn't represent who I am perfectly because I'm not the representative or the voice of all trans folks or all queer folks not by any means but if one person can look at me and say oh shit that's a little bit like me then I've given then I've done my job I've given somebody permission to be themselves and like I think we need more representation in that regard on a much larger scale. Like, and again, this is why I work with organizations. Organizations need to be creating space for, for people to see themselves in the world and see the possibility that their life can hold. Um, a quote that I share often in my workshops and, and with clients um, is by an American poet named Adrian Rich. And she wrote, when someone with the authority of a teacher describes the world and you are not in it, there is a moment of psychic disequilibrium as if you looked into a mirror and saw nothing. And when I read that quote, it resonated so deeply with me. Like I'll never forget that, that quote because it really hit me. It was like this sudden realization that I have never ever had the authority of anybody in my life, whether it was a teacher, a parent, a friend, um, a celebrity, a, you know, any type of media outlet that showed me that I was just as valid a, a version of the human experience as anybody else. And it's, you know, and the more I live it, the more I recognize how essential it is to the benefit of our social wellness and our social um, justice structures that we're, you know, we're, we're attempting to elevate and, and pursue um, is, is to give more representation and not assume that one person represents an entire group, like that continue, that, that allows for marginalization to continue. Um, because, you know, if, if that were true about every group of people, then what would be the point of having multiple different, you know, sitcoms on TV or multiple different superhero movies? Like, 
if it were true that one person's voice or one person's experience could represent an entire group of people who are kind of like them, then what would be the point of, of re repeating anything at all? Like, you know, men are allowed to be whatever they want because we've represented men as anything and everything possible. A man can be a firefighter, a man can be a painter, a man can be a chef, a man can be a doctor, a man can be a bus driver, a man can be, you know, a deep sea fisherman, whatever. Like, uh, we've given permission for a man to be whatever he wants, and I'm not here to attack men, that's not what I'm doing, but, you know, they are the best example because they've been given the most space. Our world was designed and created by and for men. And why wouldn't you, if I were a man back in, you know, the early 1900s and I had as much power as they did and certainly as much power as, as they did in comparison to anybody else, women and, and POC folks and all those, all the rest, I would of course design the world in a way that best suited me. Yeah. And out a place where we need to recognize that that's simply just not enough. We more people deserve representation, and so just like you would never assume that one man is the exact same and has the exact same experience as another, I don't want anybody to assume that my trans experience or my queer experience is the only one they ever need to hear and listen to because it must mean, therefore, that I represent all trans or queer experiences, um, and and that's where we allow marginalization to continue is when we decide that one person's voice represents every person's voice. Um, and I think this is where we will start to see some pretty prolific social changes when we start to allow multiple voices of people who have been marginalized to be heard, listened to, valued, appreciated, and seen as different just like you. Not different from you, different like you. Because we're not that different. Yeah, I, I, the only, well, I want to acknowledge that I know that you are being a model and a representation for the queer and trans community. And I guess I want to go broader than that and acknowledge you for being a model and um, influence for just a human, 100% being themselves. Because at the beginning of this episode, when I was you know, doing my best to record an intro using language that I hadn't been as fluid in, your ability to show up in that space 100% owning who you are and allowing me the space to be, it allowed me the space to be who I am. Like you were so comfortable with whatever, however I came up. And so I guess, I guess I just want to acknowledge your ability to have an influence beyond the trans and queer community, you're having an influence as a human 100% being themselves. And that goes beyond whether or not I, you know, identify as queer or trans. I identify as another human who's trying to be myself and you've impacted me in that way. So I just want to say that to you, whether you've heard that before or not, um, you do that and it's really beautiful. Thank you. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to jump in and Jesse, as you mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, a lot of people that might be listening to this, this could be their first conversation or opportunity to, to kind of get into this topic. So do you just have any like quick basic tips as far as how someone could start the conversation specifically around pronouns? Like it, it probably feels 
pretty obvious, but again, I think a lot of people are intimidated and they just don't know like what to do. And so they just don't do anything. Um, yeah. So what could someone yeah, do to like start that conversation or be more inclusive in their everyday life? Um, I think that one of the number one things I offer to people, especially if you yourself um, identify as a binary person, a person who identifies with um, she, her, or he, him pronouns, and you're cisgender, as in um, you identify with the gender you were assigned at birth, um, I would say the number one thing you could do around pronouns is, is put them anywhere and everywhere that is public. Um, and a lot of people, at, when I suggest that, you know, kind of get their backs up a little bit or, or are curious as to why or, or questioning as to why they would do that if they, they think it's so obvious. And that's exactly why you do it, because we shouldn't be making assumptions about the obviousness of somebody's gender just simply based on what they look like or how tall they are, or the sound of their voice or how much body hair they have. Um, it's also an incredibly easy way to be in a place of passive allyship where you, if you know deeply that you fit with, with our cultural expectations by way of your pronouns, then put them in your, your, um, you know, Instagram handle or in your, uh, email signature or whatever, so that you help normalize it for people like me, because it shouldn't, the onus shouldn't be 100% on me to normalize this. It should be on everybody. Um, and certainly those people with the most privilege in, by way of their cis identities, um, to help move that conversation forward by normalizing it in, in very, very passive ways. Like you, if you're not comfortable speaking it, start by writing it down somewhere. Um, another great intro yeah. to that conversation is to once you do start getting comfortable with the languaging, um, and also you don't need to be perfect at it before you start trying it. You, you know, with, with, um, practice comes, you know, becoming better and, and growing in, in those areas. Um, because it won't always be as hard as it was, you know, for you, Rachel, when you were doing the intro. And I thought that was so fucking human. Like you, your, your superpower here for the both of you is that you are holding space for other people and, um, and you're bringing groups of people together to listen to conversations like this. And what that's going to ask of you is to fuck it up in public. That is, that is your opportunity to say, I'll take this one for the team so that everybody else can feel a little bit safer and braver in fucking it up too. Cause you're not going to get it right. Like I guarantee you there is somebody who's going to listen to this podcast and afterwards go, Oh, well that Jesse, she was great. It, it's just what happens. Um, I can repeat my pronouns over and over. And I promise you after every workshop I've ever done any business I've ever walked out of without questions, somebody gets my pronouns wrong right away. So it's not about getting it perfect. It's about trying and it's about, um, you know, correcting yourself when, when you do get it wrong. Um, but bringing it into conversation can look as simple as, Hey, my name is Rachel. My pronouns are she, her, what are your pronouns? Um, when you take on a little bit of that onus to say, I'll be an ally in this and I'll, I'll do it first because it's not, um, uncomfortable for me. Cause I know that my pronouns work for the world and, and they, they match with who people believe I am, then the safety that you create for me to say, Oh, cool. Like Rachel gets it. And I don't think you're a fucking expert, but I think you get it. I'm like, okay. It's sort of like the, 
the ethereal rainbow flag in the windows of, of uh, stores. Like, I mean, we could have a whole conversation around that in and of itself, because I think that that can be a little misleading. But the, the purpose of those flags is to say you're safe here. And so it's sort of like the, the human um, IRL experience of saying, like of waving your little ally flag of saying, hey, my pronouns are she, her, my pronouns are he, him. What are your pronouns? Normalizing it by bringing it into conversation around intro- introductions and those kinds of things. I like your call out to the writing it down. That was something actually at my last company, um, they focused on trying to be as inclusive as possible. And we use, I'm sure a lot of people are familiar, but Slack very common communication tool in the business world. And that's something even Slack rolled out, the ability to put your pronouns underneath your name and your position at the company, which I thought was a really cool way just to invite a company as a whole to think a little bit differently um, without it feeling very like aggressive, like since like a very passive way uh, to get people to think differently. Yeah, I, I think that's a great start. And I mean, I think the the other we're our mindsets are so colonial like decolonizing work is something I would recommend to anybody listening to this podcast is look into why we do what we do why we believe what we believe get curious with everything that you have been taught and that I'm not saying throw out the whole you know handbook but just because a thing is a way it is and you know that whole concept of it if it ain't broke like just because something isn't visibly broken doesn't mean it it couldn't use an upgrade I mean you know we upgrade our iPhones every three months whether we like it or not we get iOS software updates and the reality is if you know Steve Jobs wasn't brave enough to say I'm gonna put out the very first iPhone ever it's not gonna be perfect we wouldn't today have the iPhone 10 or the iPhone like what 20 or whatever the fuck we have now. Like the reality is you need to start somewhere and you need to try and it's not going to be perfect. And just like software updates, just like, you know, going from first year university to fourth year university, from a master's to a PhD, getting through from kindergarten to grade 12, you know, being the worst at skateboarding to being Tony Hawk. Like, I don't care what it is. I don't even want to use the word perfection, but growth comes from practice. Growth comes from trying. And most importantly, growth comes from failure. Growth comes from fucking it up. Yeah. And so I like if I can offer anything to the people listening is is embrace failure. Because I promise you, you've failed before in your life and you've grown from it and you'll continue to fail and you'll grow from it. Learn how to fail quickly, learn how to fail swiftly, learn how to fail gracefully, and then move on. I love it. I love the invitation that it can start small and that it actually starts with your ability to stumble. <laughs> like stumbling means you're doing it. So so we have a question that we ask all of our guests to wrap up our, our shows and it is, if you were going to describe how you live your true north in one word, what would it be? <laughs> I want to say failure, but... I knew um, you were going to say that. <laughs> um, or maybe authenticity. Cool. Transparency. I don't know. One of those words. All right, I like, love it. Essentially, being, 
yeah, I'm not, I, knowing that I'm not going to get it right. Cool. And if people wanted to reach out to you and ask more questions or work with you or hire your company, um, how would they do that? What's the best way to get in touch with you? Yeah, so I have um, a, a website. Um, it's 2020. I do have a website. I made it myself. I'm very proud. Um, yeah. It is called kithandcommon.ca. Uh, you can also find me on Instagram, Kith and Common. Um, you can follow my personal account, Jesse Hutton. Um, yeah, and I, I work with schools. I work with large organizations, small organizations. Um, I do one-on-one coaching. Uh, I offer consultations. I offer workshops. So um, in my practice of decolonizing, I uh, I do my best to not limit myself to being an expert in any one field, I'm, I'm here to, to be open to conversation and allow people to get curious and, and get into the, the whys behind everything. So I'm here for it all. And if I, I didn't mention it. something, before, I wonder if they can help, uh, just reach out and ask. Yeah. And if I can't, I have lots of really rad people in my, in my Rolodex, so to speak, that I can pass you along to for decolonizing work, for race work, for, ableist work for any anything and everything i love it and honestly this kind of scratched the surface a little bit but i think as as you eloquently put like it starts with that it starts with the small things and so i appreciate your openness and your sharing with us your experience and how people can create a more open and hopefully accepting world that we're all living in. So thank you. Yeah, awesome. thank, well, you thank you so much. much. Yeah. yeah, thanks for having me. This was a fun combo. Yeah. And I'm here for round too. We'll see what, what your people listening ask more for. I know. I'm like, I want to have the rainbow flag conversation. What? Wait, let's keep having that conversation. <laughs> <laughs> so yes, I would, we would love to have you back on. You're amazing. So thank you so much. Yes. Awesome. It was great to meet you. Thank you, Jesse. Have a good one. This has been another episode of the True North Collective podcast. For more from Rachel and I, check us out on the gram at the True North Collective underscore. If you liked this podcast, rate us, leave us a review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to this podcast. Otherwise, until next time.